Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Malhelel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Albert. Well, could I ask everybody to do something a little bit different? If you have your Bible, just go ahead and take out your Bible. There are Bibles in the pews too, right? You can just pull one of those out if you don't have one and turn to 1 Chronicles. I can't tell you the page number. It's different for every Bible, but you can find that. It's kind of in the middle to the left. And so... I'm having you turn there because, number one, you might be scratching your head going, what did Albert just read? Why did he, why, why are we listening to that? Or you might be thankful as you see how this proceeds in uh, the first chapter of Chronicles onto two and three and four, all the way up until nine, that this is a massive list of genealogies. And this is how... We're going to begin our fall series and kick off uh, our fall season of ministry here as a church with this book of Chronicles. And you were thinking, after we read that, why? (laughs) Why this passage? And is the whole book of Chronicles just a long list of names? How long is a sermon on nine chapters going to be? Well, I can answer that last question first by saying, I don't know, I've never preached on nine chapters before, but we'll see. It should be an average length, whatever that means to you. Um, But with, with Chronicles, why Chronicles? Why would we start a message on Chronicles, and why preach through it? First, you need to know, if you cheated and looked ahead, passed into chapter 10 and beyond, the whole book is not just a list of names and genealogies. It goes on to tell the story of Israel. Today, though, we're going to be looking at how these nine chapters of what seems like a bunch of endless names are actually, believe it or not, an incredibly effective and exciting introduction to the book of First and Second Chronicles. And really, they are an entry point into the book's main message. Most of Chronicles is history. And Chronicles, as you heard, begins with Adam. So it's the history of the world from Eden to what is called the exile. We'll say more about that later. The title of our series is Renew. So there there are two kinds of people in the world. They all kind of fall on one side of a spectrum when it comes to how we view the times we live in. Um... This might be a time when my Disneyland references are going to start to die down, and some of you are thankful for that. I know there's some Disneyland lovers out there. We've gone a lot. We've had passes. They were given to us, but they just expired on Friday. So we spent a lot of time there on Friday. 
And all I can think about and all that's in my mind are all these Disney songs because we were there the whole day. But there are two types of people in the world. There are Main Street USA people and there are Tomorrowland people. So when you walk into Disneyland, the first thing you see, you're kind of transported back in time, right? It's, it's like a 1950s maybe town square. It's very quaint. You have barbershop quartets singing for you on the side. There's shops where you can get your soda fountain thing and everything. And it's just very nostalgic. Reminds you of days gone by. Some of us, we're always looking back to a golden age. Things were simpler. Back then, not so difficult and crazy. They were easier. They were better. These, the Main Street USA people are people who are focused on the difficulties of life now, the discouragement of life now, maybe personally, or maybe as a church, or maybe in our culture. We need to go back to the golden ages. But then there are Tomorrowland people. These are the people who look back at the difficulties of the past the lack of technology and all the hard work that was necessary to do even simple tests and go, why would I want to live back then? Now is the best time to be alive. There was hard work back then. They were morally backward back then. Why would we want to go back into the past? I am so glad that I live now. These are people who are focused on the possibility and the opportunities that are in our lives now as individuals, or maybe as a church, or maybe in our culture. Why do I share that? It's because Chronicles, as a whole book, brings these two things together. It says to us that the present time, now is always a time of great possibility and great opportunity for us, for God to work in us and for God to be at work through us. At the same time, Chronicles recognizes that the present is always full of difficulty. It can often be full of discouragement. Sometimes life seems so hard, we lose hope, and we just lose sight of God and how He is at work in our lives. So in order to find hope, in order to see the opportunity that God gives us, Chronicles says we need to look back to how God has worked in the past, not so we can move backwards or live in an age that has gone by, but so that we can move forward. And so to understand Chronicles, just a little bit of context here, we need to understand a little bit about to whom this book was written. And they were called the post-exilic community. That's the fancy name for them. They were a group of Israelites who had resettled back in Israel, back in Jerusalem, after what was the lowest, the most tragic, and darkest period in the story of the Bible, in the story of Israel. It was called the exile. Their land was taken over. Most of the people who lived in Israel were taken captive and out of their land. The temple, the center of their religious life, was destroyed and everything to them was lost. Their home, freedom, their way of life, the centerpiece of their faith. And so they're wondering, where is God in all of this? What happened to God's plan? Are we still God's people? And along into their lives, God sends the prophets. And the prophets say, there is going to be a return from exile back into the land. All the stories you've heard about Abraham 
and Moses and the greatest of the kings of old. Those were good stories, but the return is going to be even better than that. It's going to be the most awesome thing that God has ever done. And when we get to the end of the book, which Albert read, 2 Chronicles 36, verse 32, the message is, you're part of this. You're part of the return. It's here. It's you. But there was a problem. There was a disconnect. Because their reality wasn't as awesome as what the prophets had described. It was actually very difficult. Progress was slow and hard. They rebuilt the temple, but it was kind of an unimpressive temple compared to the original. Resettling in their homes was very dangerous, and they were really spiritually struggling. Some were holding on to hope and pressing forward, but many were very discouraged, very disillusioned, and they needed encouragement. They needed hope, and God gave them Chronicles, this book. If I had to pick one word to describe the book of Chronicles and its theme, you might guess it, it's on the screen there, it would be renew. The book of Chronicles was written to lead us into a rediscovery of who we are and why we're here. It was written to bring renewal to a community and to turn a community into a force of renewal for the world. So this is our kickoff Sunday, this is our fall kickoff after a year here with all of you, just a little bit over a year that I've been here as, as the pastor of Trinity, and through the summer, praying through our focus and our direction and what God is doing, the needs of our church, the areas of strength, and getting to know all of you and some of your stories, I think if I had to pick one word that I'm praying for myself, that I'm praying for us as a church, it's probably the same word, renew, that God would continue to do the things that he's doing amongst us that the areas of growth in our lives, the places where we feel stuck, that God would meet us there and continue to move us forward as a church. Chronicles was written for people who are experiencing a renewal of faith, but they want to see it sustained, not just a flash in the pan. People who feel like they're on the brink of something new, a new growth, a new chapter in their lives. It's also written for people who are spiritually stuck, sometimes wondering, and the day-to-day -day grind of life, is this all that there is to life? Is this God's plan for me? People who feel discouraged and even defeated. People who struggle with whether Christianity is false advertising. Promises too much, delivers too little. Who feel jaded, cynical because of experiences in the church or with other Christians. And for people who wonder whether God can use a very normal person, a very normal church, to bring renewal to the world. Chronicles is written for all of these kinds of people. And today, we're going to be looking at the introduction to the book and the very last few sentences of the book to look at three rediscoveries that God uses to renew us. The three are the rediscovery of our story, the rediscovery of our mission, and the rediscovery of community. So first, let's talk about story. Chronicles in our Bible is separated into First and Second Chronicles. If you got a Bible out, you saw that. But it's really just one book. It's the last book in the traditional Hebrew ordering of the Old Testament. So it was the conclusion, it was the grand finale of the Bible, of Jesus' Bible in his day. 
But one of the reasons that Chronicles is an overlooked Bible, I don't know how many of you would say, Chronicles is my favorite book of the Bible. Not many would say that. It's been overlooked, mainly because when you read it, you start to think, I think I've read this before. And if you feel that way, it's because you probably have. Most of what's written in Chronicles is covered in Samuel and Kings already. And there are two traditional titles for the book. One is from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, one from the Latin. The Greek translation of the Old Testament entitled it, The Things Omitted. In other words, Leftovers. So if we entitled this sermon series, Leftovers of the Bible, I don't know how excited we would be to read that book, but thankfully, that's not the title that stuck. In the Latin translation of the Bible, um, it was entitled, The Chronicle of Sacred History. That's more interesting. That's more exciting. The Chronicle of All History. And it's at the end of the Old Testament, that's what it is. It is a fresh retelling of the entire history of the world from beginning to their present day so that we would see the whole story as our own story. There are two things emphasized, especially at the introduction and the end of Chronicles, that are two things we need to see in order to see our stories afresh. One is... We need to know where our stories begin, and secondly, we need to know how our stories end. If you can imagine with me when Chronicles was first read, it was hot off the presses, it was in the scroll, and somebody said, there's been a new book, it's been published for us. God has inspired it, he knows we're struggling, he knows we're discouraged, and so he's given us a book. And it says here, this is the story of sacred history, and everyone's like, oh, it's going to be awesome. What is this book? Let me start reading it. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Enon, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. That's kind of a downer, right? Like, what? That's the book that God gave us? Is that all it is? Is there going to be anything else? Everyone's wondering, why did God give us a genealogy? Chronicles starts over at the very beginning because that's so often where we also need to start. I want to share a quick quote here from Michael Goheen in his book, A Light to the Nations. We have it on the slide, I think. We'll advance that slide. There it is. Goheen says, the questions we must face are, which story is shaping our self-understanding? Which images are forming our self-identity? The church can remedy being molded by an alien story and conforming to alien images of what it should be only by returning to the biblical story and its images. And this is the part I want to highlight. Sometimes the only way forward is to start at the beginning. The author says, in order to understand what's happening in your lives, why is life the way it is, why are you here? We have to start over at the beginning of the story. The very beginning of humanity and the first word of this book, Adam. There's so much packed in to that one word and to that one name, but at the heart of it is this. You are a part of Adam's story. You are created in the image of God. Who am I? Why am I here? In order to answer those questions, 
we go back to Adam. And we see, I am made in the image of God, made to be in relationship with God and to reflect God, to image God in everything I do, in all of life, in my work, in my play, in my relationships, mind, soul, body, marriage, family, good days, bad days, all days. I am made to be in relationship with God, and I am made to reflect Him in everything I do. This means then, our stories don't start with us. My story did not begin on December 28th, 1976, on our birthdays. Our story, my story, begins in Eden. And if we don't remember that, we won't know who we are or why we're here. Who are we? We're created and called and destined for something great, to know God and to make Him known. Why are we here? Well, in the events of my life, whatever is happening, God is drawing me deeper into that purpose that I might know Him. And He's shaping me to reflect Him to other people. So point of application, it means my story is not all about me. My identity and my worth is not found in what I do or how well I do it. It is not earned, but it is given. So it's important that we know where our stories begin. It's also important we know how our stories end, and Chronicles emphasizes this. As I mentioned, the lowest and the darkest point in the whole story of the Bible and the history of Israel was the exile. The exile was probably the most prominent feature the thing that most defined the people who first read this book. They said, we're the people who've gone through the exile. We're the exile people. And to them, they thought, that just means that this is the end. We are the people who were defeated. We failed. We were cast out. We tried to start over. It's not working. God has given up on us. And what's fascinating about the book of Chronicles is that though the exile was a big deal, a huge deal, everybody at the time was talking about it. Are we still in exile? Is it over? Are we defined by the exile? The author of Chronicles only mentions it twice. In chapter 9 at the very beginning and at the very end, which we just heard read from Chronicles 36. A commentator, um, McConville, J.C. McConville makes a point about this. He says, don't miss the theological statement that's being made. With the chronicler only mentioning the exile in passing. And that is this. The story of those who know the God of the Bible, it's never defined by our failures. It's never defined by our defeats, by our endings. From Eden all the way through to the exile, this is the major theme that God is writing into history and into the stories of all his people. What looks like the end is never the end. It is always a gateway into a new beginning. Death leads to resurrection. There are many ways that we can write the end into our stories. When God says, it's not the end. It's just an end. So how might you be doing that in your own life? Sometimes we say, 
the best days in my life are past. Sometimes we say, the best of my spiritual growth, my renewal in my faith, that's past, that's gone. I guess I'll just settle. I fail too often. Things will never change. Chronicle says, it is never the end. It is an end in a place where God can begin a new and fresh beginning and bring renewal to your lives. I was looking online and saw um, a recent article in the Atlantic Magazine. It's called Life Stories, and it's about how people understand themselves and build their identity out of a narrative. It's called narrative identity. That the way that we explain who we are and understand ourselves is through a story, by telling our story. And the author of this article, Julie Beck, says, once uh, certain stories get embedded into our culture, she says they become master narratives. They are blueprints for people to follow when structuring their own stories for better or for worse. So there are these master narratives that we live by. And she said one such blueprint is the standard one. Go to school, you graduate, you get a job, you get married, and you have kids. And the author says that can be a helpful script, but the downside of standard narratives have been well documented. They stigmatize anyone who doesn't follow them to a T and provide unrealistic expectations of happiness for those who do. I think she's right that there are master narratives embedded into every culture. There are scripts given to us that we are meant to follow. And Chronicles makes us step back and ask, what's the master narrative in my life? What script am I following? Plato said, those who tell the stories rule society. Those who tell the stories rule society. It's also true that the stories that we tell ourselves, they rule our lives. And of all the master narratives out there, Christianity is the most realistic about our challenges, the difficulties of life, and it is also the most redemptive master narrative when it comes to our failures. That there is no stigma for not living up to the script. Life is difficult, but in our stories, God can bring great renewal no matter what. That's the first rediscovery God uses to renew us. The second is rediscovering our mission. One of the main purposes of these nine chapters of genealogy, starting with Adam and coming up to the present day of the original readers, was to remove any and all doubt that God's mission for his people and for the world had failed. And he shows us through these, through these genealogies and the way that he concludes the book, two major things about God's mission. Number one, God is not losing And two, how we lose sight of our place in God's mission. God is not losing, he says. The people for whom this book was written, they looked at their own lives, they looked at the world around them, and they said, how can we really say God is at work? That God has a mission and it's moving forward. One of the biggest mistakes that we can make and that we do make as Christians and as the church 
is to evaluate the effectiveness of God's mission using the wrong metrics. The metrics of power, popularity, and the headlines. In 1 Chronicles 1 through 9, the, the author is saying, from Adam all the way up until the present day, through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, through all these years of ups and downs, through the valley of the exile, up until the present day now, God is moving his mission forward. Even when we can't see it, nothing can stop God's mission to bring renewal to us and through us. And he wants us to have great comfort and hope in this. A few months ago, I came across a CBS News commentary. It was written by a guy named Will Ron. And it was entitled, Everybody Thinks They Are Losing. He argued that one of the main reasons we're seeing so much divisiveness in our culture is that people from any perspective, from, from all perspectives, from all political sides of the spectrum and all persuasions, are all saying and thinking the same thing, and that is, we are losing. No, we are losing. No, we are losing. And it creates this sense of everybody feels like they're losing ground, they're losing influence, they're losing power, they're losing our country. And when you come from this place, everyone's using their energy and their focus to fight back and to win. We've got to win back ground. We've got to win back power. We've got to win back our influence. No one wants to be a loser, and so you win at all costs. And turn everything into a win-lose proposition and not so interested in ideas or solutions that could be a win-win for any side. I think what Chronicles is showing us as Christians, to my Christian friends and, and as the church, is that one of the most important cultural responsibilities for Christians is for us not to go into the public sphere with a we-are-losing mindset. Because God is not losing. His redemptive mission will win. His redemptive purposes of love will always win the day. And Chronicles points us forward ahead to God's greatest win that happened in Jesus. And what we see from that is that through what looks like failure, what looks like losing, actually comes God's greatest win. That God's mission moves forward not when we approach life from a win-lose perspective. Not even when we approach life from a how can I win and how can you win perspective. But God's mission moves forward most powerfully when we lose so others can win. That's the gospel. The giving up of rights, the letting go of power, serving, sacrificing, giving ourselves in love for the life of others. So Chronicles says, God is not losing. Take great comfort and hope. It also says, don't lose sight of your part in God's mission. The biggest challenge for the people who read this book when it came to mission was how easy it was for them to lose sight of God's greater mission because they had their own problems to deal with. They had their own difficulties in their own personal lives. And they said, let me shore these things up, then I'll think about my place and my part in the larger mission of God. And this genealogy helps us by doing two things at the same time. It zooms in and then it zooms us out. And think about it like a giant group photo. 
if you have maybe a group photo, maybe you were a part of some retreat or something of that nature or a class photo or something like that. In the old days, we just had the physical photo. So there was this big photo and you pull it out and you say, let me show you this. Where are you? That's me. I'm that tiny little head right there. You can barely see me. But now in our technological age, we have our digital photos. And so we just put it on our computer or see it on our device and we can zoom in to our own face and say, there I am. That's me. I'm a part of this group. Well, this genealogy in the first nine chapters of Chronicles, it does both of those things. We're reading these names. We have no clue who these people are. Every now and then we'll come across a name we recognize if we're familiar with the Bible, but most of them, none of us know. People no one has heard of, history has forgotten. God is saying, I care about those people. I know them. I knew them. I knew their story. I knew their difficulties. I know their name. He is zoomed in on you, he is saying, and he is with you. You can trust him with what you're facing. At the same time, it zooms us out because we read nine chapters, a huge long list of people, and we realize that each of these people is part of a much bigger picture. If you read all nine chapters, you will forget pretty much every name that you just read. The message is this, God calls us to a bigger purpose than just our own personal comfort and happiness. Our life finds its purpose in his mission. And he was telling this post-exilic community, the reason you are where you are, when you are, surrounded by who you are, is all a part of my mission for you. And it's the same for us. The reason we are in Orange County in 2017, surrounded by our neighbors, our family, our friends, and our co-workers, it's all a part of God's mission for us to bless the world. Renewal comes from rediscovering our story, rediscovering our mission, and finally, from rediscovering community. Our times have been called an era of expressive individualism. That term means that one of the master narratives that defines us and that shapes us is the search for finding our authentic self and expressing our individual and authentic self, one of the major narratives in our world. And often we can take that narrative of expressive individualism and apply it to our approach to our faith. That we approach the Bible looking for our own personal and private renewal. Nine chapters of genealogy and chronicles shows us that's not how God works. He works in community. This book was not written for one person. It wasn't even written for one tribe of Israel. It was written to all Israel. Even though the tribes of Judah and Levi and Benjamin, you'll see, are emphasized here because they were the ones who made up the majority of that community. God says it's not even just about you. He includes all the tribes. He says it's for all of my people. Two application points. Renewal then only happens in community. From Adam all the way until the present, God renews us Always in the same way, not as isolated private individuals for our own good, but in community and with relationship to other people. 
So in order for us to rediscover our story, in order for us to take our place in mission, you need the whole community. We need each other. Secondly, renewal happens in a community where everyone is valued and everyone is active, playing a part. Something that stands out in this genealogy is that as you're reading along and you're kind of breathing through and you're like, okay, skip, 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 and you're like, oh, there's Moses. I know Moses. Oh, there's Abraham. Yes, I know Abraham. But Moses and Abraham are just mentioned along with everybody else. You'll read Moses, and then you'll get to a guy named Jobab. And then you'll read Abraham, and you'll see a guy named Chelub. You will not remember Jobab and Chelub. But God did. He knew them, and he said, they're a part of my work in this world. They're a part of the community. And this puts us in our place. It humbles the proud, even the most famous and well-known. They're just a link in the chain. Moses, Abraham. It puts us in our place because it exalts the humble. The unknown are also a link in the chain. Renewal comes from those three rediscoveries. Rediscovering our story, our mission, and community. This is, like we said, a kind of a special Sunday for us and a special service as we are kicking off our fall ministries. Now's the time where I want you to take out that flyer. I want to end this message in a little bit of a different way. The flyer has two sides. They kind of look the same, but they both say renew on the top. The very last part of this book Chapter 36, at the very end, the very last words are a call to action. The chronicler says, let him go up, meaning join in the work. Take your place in the story. Be a part of the community. And that's what I want to talk about now. On this sheet, you'll see the two things that we've identified as our most important calls to action for the fall. On the one side, you'll see it says renew. Growing community. On the other side, you'll see it says renew, join a team to serve. This fall at Trinity, we want to make sure everybody has a community with whom they can grow with, with whom they can experience ongoing spiritual renewal. You'll see a lot of new community groups listed. It's a great time if you are not a part of a community to join. So I want to encourage encourage all of you. Take a look at this. Pray through this. Find a place to grow in community. You can use this as your sign-up form. Just fill it out. Drop it in the offering box. We're also going to have two tables um, out back after we all have lunch together. You can visit the tables. They're going to have everything you need to know about our community groups. You'll also see here some places for you to learn and grow in our uh, ministry of Trinity U and in our studies. These are also great places for you to take steps towards connecting and being renewed in community. The other side says, renew, join a team to serve. A big part of what we did this summer was we took a look at all the ways that we are organized as far as our ministry teams and areas for volunteer service as a church. We looked at everything and we reorganized some of it and here is the fruit of our labor. Here on this uh, sheet is pretty much all of our ministry teams. And on the top of this list, you'll find our highest priority needs. 
in our Trinity Kids ministry, on our hospitality team, and what we call our Sunday Ops team. So if you are newer to Trinity, if you've been here for a while, you're looking for a place to serve, this is your guide as to what we need, the areas for service, and other places you might find that you are passionate about in areas for you to serve. It is a very important value for us that all are a part of our mission as a church. So I want to invite you to take this. You can, like I said, respond to this today. You'll have other ways to respond to this and sign up online. But I want to encourage you. Be a part of us seeking the renewal of the gospel as a church. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book, which at first seems very strange to us, and yet as we have spent a little bit of time seeing what you are doing in this book, we are reawakened to your purposes for us. And I pray, I pray as we spend time in Chronicles, but I pray as we spend time serving in these ministries, growing in community, that you would meet us to renew us. We are a forgetful people. We forget who we are. We forget why we're here. We have other stories that shape us. I pray, Lord, that during this season that you would ground us so deeply in the gospel, our identity, our purpose, and our mission, and that you would renew us, whether we're feeling stuck, discouraged, lost, or whether we're feeling like we are growing and on the brink of renewal in our lives, I pray you would meet us where we're at. Plant us deeply in the incredible story of your renewing love for us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.